Welcome to the Aggressively Average Podcast. You'll be forced to stay. Sweet Average Podcast. I get all my facts from my gut. Does it look like any of us have taken them? I'm not allowed to go out and do what I want to do. I'm going postal. 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 This is a list of the people who ought to die. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Fireside Chats with Blake. I'm joined today by a friend of mine. He's actually a friend through Torch. He uh, works at Progressive Insurance. Say hi to Tony Mead. Hi, everybody. Hey, Blake. <laughs> Let's get the fire started. Okay, Tony. So first thing I wanted to ask you today, how are you enjoying this work at home stuff? I absolutely love it. I think at the start of the virus, I was really hit or miss about it. You miss a lot of the like, water cooler talk. Torch sits next to me at work, so we normally shoot the shit a lot and... I uh, missed out on that, but it's been what feels like an eternity since quarantine started, and you know I'm absolutely loving it. Working a comfy chair, and uh, yeah, not looking forward to ever going back. So, do you feel because we've talked about this on the podcast? Do you feel that you're more or less productive? Yeah, it's a good question. I actually just had this talk with my family. Also, I think I am more productive, and a part of that is my might be just pure brute force while you're working at home it is typically for me at least six to eight hours of uninterrupted work versus at work in the office like i said there's a lot of times where people walk over people walk (laughs) over john's just like i don't know talking about something you know the meaning of life and we get sidetracked for an hour so it's hard to switch context, but at home, just working, working, working. And sometimes it's like six o'clock and you're almost there. If you don't have to drive home, it's a lot easier to keep working. Yeah, I've brought that up on the podcast because apparently corporations are saying this work at home is not working. People are being less productive, harder to coordinate stuff and all that. But I've had the theory that good workers, when they sit at home, yeah, there may be a dip in productivity at first because you're at home, you're not at work. But a good worker would just, at some point, like, this is my job. This is the time I'm going to set aside. This is when I'm going to do it. It's basically what you described, like, you know, six, eight hours, you're uninterrupted and you just power through it. Now, they might have a point with the coordinating stuff, but that just takes time and effort to really nail down. Yeah. You know, I think my, my mom does some secretarial work. She said that... At first, she was just watching Netflix a lot. And they started to go in once or twice just because they need fax machines and stuff. So she would do all of her work then. Uh, half my team has always been remote. So it was a lot easier for the people who did come into the office to just transition fully remote. But yeah, I, I also have like a very selfish reason of I permanently wanted to work from home at the start of this. So I knew I had to prove to my boss I was capable of permanently working from home. So had I just sat around and watched Netflix all day, then I had have been a much harder time to ask for that permission when the time came. Speaking of working permanently from home, you've got some big plans for that, right? Yeah, I mean, that's why I, um, I really wanted to ask. I've always wanted to travel. You know, working from home is really helpful in doing that. So um, once I got the okay to work permanently from home, I went out and bought an RV and truck and plan on traveling uh, westward 
We'll see how the weather shapes out, but my girlfriend's trying to go to Washington. I would like to go to Arizona, uh, never see snow again, but... Did, did she get a job in Washington, or...? No, she, uh, unfortunately, she got laid off from the Parks Department because of this, so yeah, that, that sucks, but she got unemployment, we've just been saving up money, and this time not doing much else, so... Are you decking out the RV at all? I know you've been working on it, right? Yeah, yeah, like, she's uh, stop on out if you ever... Well, it's a little bit of a drive out to Geneva. That's where we're we're working on it now. But painting it, put wood floors down. Uh, nothing too crazy yet. This is our first time doing this, so I'm sure second or third time. If we decide to do this again, there's probably going to be some much cooler additions. But right uh, you now, learn every time you do something. It's just like this podcast. Like I'm never recorded anything in my life, and I'm just now learning the mixer, everything. So. Basically, in five years, if I ever do get big, quote-unquote, I'll have five years of being bad at it to learn from. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that's like the only way you learn how to do some of that stuff. You gotta try and error, and, and there's so many little things like the equipment you use, you gotta collect that, and that takes time and effort and money. I mean, God, I'm not a handyman by any stretch of the means, but doing some of the remodeling stuff on the camper or teach you real quick the difference between what you need and what you don't need. So Mixer is probably a great example. Yeah, I, I still don't know what half of these buttons do, but I've gotten the volume. I figured out how to get the volume right. <laughs> yeah, well, bless your soul. The podcast I listen to, uh, you can tell the amateur ones where it fluctuates all the time. You're like adjusting the volume on the fly. That is no bueno. Yeah, yeah, I kind of do all the adjusting behind the scenes, like afterwards, because it doesn't matter how many times I have people like I had you like test audio. Everyone talks different once the podcast starts. And I don't it's just too hard to try and figure it out like as they're talking. Yeah. And that's where you get all the fluctuations. I do it all in post and I just hope, you know, it doesn't sound terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Do you um, do you find that, that is the easier way to do it then? Yeah, I mean, because we don't use headphones around here, and I don't know if it's because the mixer's not the best one in the world. Like, it does its job, but there's a delay when you're wearing the headphones and you're talking, and since I'm part of the show, I can't just listen in and adjust as I'm going. I would be hearing myself talking, and it really, like, I've tried to use the headphones and record myself, but because of the delay, I end up talking like this, because my brain tries to match the delay... Yeah. And it sounds terrible. Yeah. You definitely cannot listen to yourself uh, and talk at the same time, let alone I just can't not be critical every time I hear my own voice, oh, God, which I, I feel like everyone who's probably ever to come on a podcast has mentioned it sounds terrible to hear your own voice. Yeah. Do you know why you sound different to people than you sound to yourself? I, I don't. Because when you're hearing other people, you're hearing it one way through your ears. When you hear yourself talking, you're hearing yourself two ways which is through your ears from the sound coming out of your mouth and then through your bones, through bone conduction, following your jawline up into your eardrum. So you get a different vibration level than everyone else. Wow. Uh, Do you think, um, do actors, people who have like just beautiful voices, are they like, do they make an effort on that or just born with it? I, I don't know. I mean, they have to sound different to themselves unless they've got, I don't know, titanium jaws that don't vibrate. Some of because those actors, I, yeah. Because even as I'm I'm saying this, like, I can tell, like, I get it. Like, after I say that, and then I can realize, like, oh, yeah, I can feel, not feel the vibrations, but I can tell that my voice is vibrating my mouth. 
Like once I've, it's like whenever someone mentions something that you do and you're like, oh shit, I do do that. And you can't stop realizing it for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Girlfriend just called out me out today on my jaw sounding weird when I eat. And I was the rest of, I heard uh, all lunch. Does it like pop or something? Yeah. Yeah. Just, that's not healthy. Like, crack, crack, crack. Yeah. I mean, that's what I sound like whenever I try to work out. The first couple of reps of like bench press is everything pops. Yeah. I've been doing all this handyman stuff on the camper and it's like sometimes I'll just be done. I go lay down in bed and it's like I reach across the bed to get something in my whole back. It's like a xylophone. Uh, oh, yeah. I am absolutely addicted to cracking my back. Yeah. It's such a good feel, but probably not worth it in the long run. I don't know. It was a uh, little there's... like kid, uh, like urban legend where it's like, you know, you'll permanently damage your body or something. I've never fact checked that. It's actually, you can't fact check it because everyone has a different opinion because they don't know if chiropractics are even a good idea or not. Like scientifically, they don't know. I've watched a lot of chiropractic videos and I've seen them obviously correct someone's spine. Like you can see, you know, someone's, sometimes they're like spines bulging and stuff and a couple adjustments later, a couple months and they're fine. So there is evidence that it works, but they don't know really the long-term effects of constant chiropractic work or they say don't crack yourself at home but some doctors will say if you crack your neck all the time like it's not bad it just means you know how to crack your neck and I've I've had problems with my neck to where I couldn't turn it unless like when I woke up in the morning I'd be so stiff I couldn't move until I physically like shoved my head to both sides and that feels like a dangerous game it's, it's like, there's been a couple of times like and i do this often where i crack myself and then i just go limp in case that was the one that ended me <laughs> just in case it's like halfway through pushing you you're like can i physically break my own neck and then you're like probably not it's like i'm just gonna keep pushing that's yeah. probably not a safe way to go about it i'm of the belief that you can't break your own neck because your body stops you just like yeah. you can bite through someone's finger pretty easily like, if someone had their finger in your mouth and you just bit as hard as you could, it would come off. But you can't bite through your own skin. You can't bite through your own bones because your brain goes, hey, dude, we're trying to survive. Yeah. So it stops you from doing anything dangerous. Now, there's been times where I've definitely, like, my neck's been hurting and I'm like, that pop is just a little bit push away. <laughs> so I keep trying. But I'm of the firm belief that your body and your brain keeps you from killing yourself. Obviously, if you fucking, like, ran into a wall with your elbow and tried to crack your neck you could probably end your life that way yeah yeah i mean there's there's definitely some like nervous animal tendencies in you but there's no sort of like long-term planning i would never crack anyone else's neck i I will try to crack people's backs like i used to step on people's backs but never never full weight obviously i'm a big guy so like i would do like the one the one foot maneuver walking on people's back. Other people would be like, all right. And then just walk like they're a little Asian woman on me. <laughs> yeah. I used to do that as a kid on my mom, but yeah, now I'm too, I feel I'm too big and she's gotten too old and frail that that would be the last thing you'd ever want to do is break someone's back. Yeah. I, I mean, I would never touch anyone's neck because like I said, your body stops you from cracking your neck too far, but it's not that I'm super aggressive with cracking my neck. It's I try to find like where I move it to the side. And then when I find the weak point, I sit for a second, try to relax the muscles and then just, and I wouldn't want to do that to someone else to where I do that little like shove because Steven Seagal. Yeah, exactly. I ain't trying to fucking walk around and just 
crack, crack, crack. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. It's weird. I, uh, I'm all for it, but God, yeah, just seeing you crack your neck right there, man. It's like, oof. Do you, yeah. I, I can tell you exactly the first time I ever cracked a bone. Do you remember the first like, time you did it? And like, I, pleasurably? No, I can't say I do. I, uh, I learned because, uh, I stubbed my pinky toe really fucking badly on like a, like a desk, basically like a computer desk. I was running through my house as a kid and I just straight pinky toe swelled up, got black and blue, was fucking killing me. And I pulled on it the one day, two or three days after I really stubbed it. And I was like, oh my God, I got to do something. And I pulled on it and the crack just felt so fucking good. And that's probably because it was in pain and the crack relieved like some little type of pressure. And, you know, from crack, cracking your neck, like there's sometimes it hurts for a second, but then there's always like that little relief afterwards. It's like, ah, yeah, that's how we all do it. So, <laughs> and I, I did that the one time and I became obsessed with cracking toes. I cracked my toes, convinced my brother to crack it, like, let me crack his toes. Then it moved on to fingers. It's been a lifelong obsession. <laughs> I feel yeah, yeah. My back is. Uh, I do it with my back every day, probably three, four times a day. It is so addicting. Yeah, I. I wish I could do it two or three times. I do it two or three times a fucking minute. <laughs> <laughs> Recently, I've been finding new ways to crack my back. That no medical reasoning behind this, but I feel better in the new ways I found to do it because I've always had back problems from being a bigger dude playing sports, it happens. Like, I had those neck problems for a long time. I went to the chiropractor. They helped it to a point, but I, I think I would need, like, surgery to really get rid of all my neck problems. But I've learned new ways to crack my neck and new ways to crack my back in, like, the last six months that have helped me. Like, I don't know. There's no basis to it. Like, there's no... I couldn't say there's a scientific reason, but I know when I feel better if it, yeah, if you convince yourself of it, then you know what? That's that's what matters. I guess unless you're doing long-term damage, which then you probably shouldn't, but yeah. yeah. I mean, I already do long-term damage. I can't remember the last time I went to the hospital. Oh, yes, I can. The last time I went to the hospital for any injury was 2010, and it's only because for a year and a half, my wrist was basically unusable. So I finally went to the doctor when I realized I couldn't even open doors with my right hand. Like, I would go to try and, like, turn the knob and be like, all right, turn it with my left hand. And I went there, and they told me, oh, you have a severely sprained wrist. Yeah, I know. Like, I already knew that coming in. And then they gave me prescription for 10 ibuprofen, just 10. That would have cost me $11 if I had filled the prescription. So didn't do that because I was like, I can buy a 500 bottle for $5. Yeah. Yeah. And they told me to wait in the room. They were going to bring me like a, a splint. Well, I waited like 20 minutes. The lady, another lady walked by and goes, oh, you're good to go. All right. See ya. <laughs> I'm sure that splint would have costed like $30 anyways. So you're yeah. probably better off anyways leaving and buying it on your own. Yeah, I, I didn't buy it. I just, uh, I did everything wrong. <laughs> like I would bench press with my wrist where it would uncontrollably like wiggle back and forth while I was trying to bench because it just it wasn't stable enough to handle what I was doing so smart me decided let's just wrap it really tight in an ace bandage while we bench press so tight like I would lose blood to it so I would have to as soon as I was done with the bench press like immediately unwrap my hand and go oh my god 
do the fucking same thing again. Like, real smart stuff. Yeah, that does uh, not sound good. I don't know if I've ever um, been in such a position, but I've definitely had plenty of cousins and friends who would just walk on casts indefinitely. You know, I guess after a while, your body will heal. Yeah, I, even when I broke my hand during wrestling, which is a cool story because the dude was way better than me, broke my hand, throwing me around like a fucking rag doll, but I somehow ended up with my broken hand doing a thing called the fat man's roll where I just trap his arm on my stomach when he's on top of me and you roll and put him on your back. And I was able with my broken hand to like grab his outside arm to make sure he couldn't continue rolling away. Cause that's the best way to get out of the fat man's rolls to, all right, I'm rolling, use my momentum to roll them again. But it's such a basic move. Like it's literally the most basic move you can think of. No one fucking does it. That's why it's called the fat man's roll. Because it's fat people do it. Yeah. So I got really good at that. Used my broken hand to stop his arm from being able to continue the momentum and pinned him. Did not deserve to win that fight. We both weighed the exact same amount of weight. And I looked short, pudgy dude. And he was an Adonis. He was jacked as shit and just throwing me around. But felt really good to be like, ah, with a broken hand, I beat this guy. Oh, yeah. You know, we all have those, like, uh, victories that are not deserved but you get them and you know what it's the it's the victory that counts so <laughs> yeah it was uh one of the two times that literally everyone in the gymnasium that was watching was cheering for me first time was a home match where i got my first ever win and i was 0 and 17 at that point in high school <laughs> so everyone knew i sucked so they were so pumped for me to win and then that time everyone watching knew i didn't deserve to win and then i somehow did and they were like oh my god that would have been a great feeling Oh, no, the best feeling was seeing the dude's eyes on the mat after he got pinned. He was just like, oh, my God, I lost. And then I did it. Trying to be a good sport, but afterwards I realized it was a bit of a dickish move. No, I you, like, about- you, like, chopped your, your hands on your legs. Uh- <laughs> no, I didn't tell him to suck it. <laughs> no, like, after I went and got my hand checked out by the, the trainer there, and they told me it was probably broken put me in a sling like that's gonna help a broken hand more than anything it just was like a sign to don't touch it yeah and i went up to the guy i saw him sitting there i was like yo man that was a great match blah blah blah. like just the look he gave me i was like oh he did not want me to say that to him right then got it yeah there's a uh, sore winners and sore losers um i'm sure it's it's pretty hard to be a sore loser or good loser when you are such uh alpha on top of your game yeah it's like you're right. He did not. He in no part of his brain thought he should lose that match. And he yeah. is probably right. But there's also the I only did three moves. Really? There's only three moves I trusted to do. And I was a heavyweight. You could weigh 285. By the end of the year, you could almost weigh 290 because they give you pound allowances so many weeks into the season. And I wrestled at 230. Like that's the weight I weighed. And he weighed 232. But obviously he was jacked and I looked very similar to how I look now. Not jacked. Most of those guys that I wrestled were typical alphas because if they were good at heavyweight, they're huge men. Six foot four, you know, 280 pounds, and then yeah. someone five six, two thirty, pinned you. It looked nice when I finally got good at wrestling because I learned three moves. That's it. Because, like I was saying, they were so much bigger than me. I couldn't risk doing a lot of moves because if I get screwed over and they land on top of me, that's a 50-pound difference that 
isn't normal for any other weight class. Like, there's no other weight class where someone could weigh 50 pounds more than you at all. So I only did the headlock, and I did that, like, five different ways. Depending on, like, what they gave me, I learned how to, like, do a slow headlock, a fast one, a trip headlock, like, whatever I could use. Like, once I had your head and arm, I was going to figure out a way to throw you. Then I did the fat man's roll. Fat man's roll, yeah. And the move that I was actually probably the best at but was scared of doing during wrestling the heavyweights was a fireman's carry, which is where you grab their arm, then you like kind of shoot down to their leg and then flip them over your back. Okay. Yeah. Which I did all the time in practice to everyone. Like it was technically my best move, but I was too scared to do it to someone 50 pounds heavier than me. Yeah. That's a lot. I feel like that's your, uh, sounds like your karate kid, like crane kick, you know, you're just like, well, but at the state's final and the final match, I, uh, rose to the challenge and fireman tossed someone <laughs> to victory. I wish. Damn. Yeah. I, I wrestled this kid. Sorry, I'm talking so much about wrestling, but once I start talking about it, I never get a chance to. So I, I harp on it. I wrestled this kid in an open tournament before my junior year. Like, where I said I went 0-17 my sophomore year, I finally won one match. And then going into my junior year, I did a couple of open tournaments that basically practice tournaments yeah. is what they are, essentially. And I won a couple of matches, and I was like, holy fuck, what happened? But I wrestled this one kid who tried to throw me, and when someone tries to throw you, you're just supposed to drop your hips, so all your weight goes down, and then instead of them having the momentum to toss you, they fall back, and you land on top of them. Well, I did this as a kid, and I pinned him, and he got all fucking butthurt because I was friends with the girl he, like, lived down the street from and was in love with. I'm not going to lie. Fucking loved her, too. But I never had a chance, so him being mad at me was dumb because <laughs> she wasn't going to choose me. But he got all butthurt, and, like, he messaged me on Facebook. He's like, I just hate how you think, I'm a be- you think you're a better wrestler than me. I was like, one, I don't think I'm a better wrestler than you. We just had a match, and you lost. He goes, well, that's just because I gave up. I was like, that does mean I'm a better wrestler than you. Yeah. <laughs> if you just give up when you're put in a bad situation, like, yeah, yeah, I am a better wrestler. Come on, yeah. Think of, like, Pikachu. All those times he got his ass kicked, and, you know, he just rose up. Oh, I mean, that's why I love anime. Nine times out of ten, got his ass kicked one more time, you know. But the third time, probably still got his ass kicked. But, you know, like, one in a hundred. Pikachu was a badass. They, like, pulled the Thunderbolt from hell out of the air, yeah. Absolutely. Now, the, Pikachu won by, like, ways you couldn't play in Pokemon video games. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was just like the... Like, oh, there's water nearby. Let's make them wet. And then yeah. once they're wet, fireball! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so all those, yeah, it's like, damn. The show is never as cool as the video games are. But uh, 90s kids, so special shout out to all cartoons of the time. You... Actually, I'm going to finish this story, and then I have a question to ask you. Sure. But that kid, I wrestled him again. And he was so scared of me pinning him that, you know how wrestling is, you have a big circle you have to stay in. He kept on walking to the edge of the circle and then trying to throw me, just so if I did put him on his back, he could just scoot out of bounds real quick. Real bitch-ass move. And he did end up beating me. Whatever. I'm not worried about it. Like I said, he weighed 280, I weighed 230. He should beat me. But the ref at one time goes, you're stalling to him because he kept on like going to the back, and then whenever things went wrong, he just went out of bounds. So he was stalling. He was keeping the match from happening. And then he told me I was blocking, which blocking is a legit wrestling tactic. Because if he's trying to throw me, what am I supposed to do? Let him throw me? So I ended up being penalized for him 
stalling the match. And I was like, dude, come the fuck on. But he ended up beating me. Didn't pin me or anything. He just won by points because he kept, he did end up getting one throw out of the fucking 17 he tried where he got two points and I got the escape. And then he won two to one. What I was going to ask you, you watch anime at all? Fortunately, I don't. No, I, um, I've never been in, I always told people I was never into it without well, First ever. of all, if you watch Pokemon, you, you are into anime. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> uh, yep. Watched Pokemon Digimon as a child. Oh. Um, but yeah, I always told people I was never interested until, yeah, maybe 2012. I uh, hung out with this guy who was obsessed with it, and he finally got me to watch Death Note. Mm. Which I that seems like something you would like. It's probably like everyone's introduction. I feel like to, to it to dark, to intellectual anime. Yeah, the the whole like yeah chess moves that was pretty interesting i really liked it the moral questions so i watched that and watched sword art online never got into that one i've heard it's really good i was just cool concept i mean i'm a geek so i really just enjoy the idea of like virtual worlds that's big in anime there's a lot of them Mm -hmm. and i think sword art online has five or six iterations of it yeah i think i just watched like maybe the first or second season i, I never like watched all of it but I, yeah i haven't really watched much after that movies though animated movies i'm pretty partial to my brother's a film major so he kind of sends some my way every now and then sci-fi is like akira is you know, the pinnacle of love, the 80s 87 i think uh sci-fi and everything after that yeah it's pretty great so i'm gonna tell you the reason i like animated shit like i've gotten to the point where it's hard for me to watch live action are you saying like live action like Like, uh the disney stuff where it's like spliced or do you just mean like any movie with real people real people okay okay i can watch it but you can do so much more with animation with your character development everything and you can over animate reactions that a human can't do but like adds to it best way i can describe it have you seen the new lion king the one that's like really real looking animals yes the scene where simba's father dies mufasa so much sadder in the cartoon because like his face moves and like you can see like how distraught he is about it but then watching the newest one it's like it doesn't have those emotions lined in his face and the same thing with like cartoons or real people you can over animate you know someone looking sad like tears coming out of their eyes big and you just can't do in real life and it just while it's faker it puts you more in the correct feeling yeah i wish i could remember the uh the whole argument for that me and my D group were talking about this animation idea is like uh yeah there's like definite more appeal to some people and and i yeah i'll have to follow up with you on on why but i guess it is like a kind of well-known concept there's and there's a lot to animation besides just like drawing versus claymation versus digital. All those have different pulls on human emotions. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you. I think there is some definite appeal to it. I've just never, never sat down and thought like I'll watch an anime. And I think once I get in that mindset, I'm sure I'll, I'll yeah, find the enjoyment. I'm a huge sap. So what gets me with anime is mostly. I've watched Death Note, I've watched other animes, but I'm a big fan of fighting. It's called like Shonen. Shonen Jump is like the name of a magazine that has a lot of the really like action fighting based animes based off of. But I just love like the Pikachu thing. The over like, I'm just not going to give up. I'll figure it out. And then they randomly get a power boost or they have a really cool like strategy. Yeah. 
I don't know. I just, I'm, a, I'm a sap that way. Like, I didn't even know I liked anime, but I grew up loving it. Like, Pokemon, Digimon, Dragon Ball Z, all animes. But to me, it was like, it's on Cartoon Network. So it's just a cartoon. Yeah. And then I watched Naruto and Bleach around 2015. And I was like, oh, I'm really into this kind of shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those are the pinnacles. It's like the samurai, right? Uh, Bleach. Is... Bleach is, uh, you know, in Death Note, the, the gods, the the Shinigami, right. that's that's the same idea in Bleach, is they're Shinigami, they're gods, they're not they're not gods technically in Bleach, but like that's the basis behind it. Is Some deity, the, yeah. Yeah. It's weird, like, the two differences, I don't know if you've ever seen Bleach, but they are, they're basically samurais with the cool sword skills and shit in Bleach, yeah. but the Shinigami and Death Note are way different. Like, they're just, they're all powerful and they can kill indiscriminately, like, you can't stop. But it's just, like, any folklore... It's like Thor and Odin, and one story can be completely unstoppable, but Marvel's movies, like, Thor is the strongest, but he's not, by any means, like, so much higher than Captain America or anyone. Yeah, yeah, I think there's, yeah, there's definitely, like, uh, yeah, I, I, I go back and forth with, sorry, not exactly that concept, but it's more a little bit like the, it, it's always, it's always interesting, like, if you talk to some, like, Star Wars fans, it's like, they always feel betrayed by, uh, and I definitely am like in this in like the newer Star Wars when it's just like someone uses the Force in like an unknown way. It's just like whoa, 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 this isn't in the rules. And it's just like well, there are exact rules, and it's sort of like a kind of a universe. So it's like there are people who are like, oh, cool, we got new stuff now, and then there's definitely people like, nope, that's not canon. You can't do that. And it's just like, well, those rules don't always have to be true. Yeah, that's it comes to book versus movie Ugh. kind of thing. And I hate that. I, I'm a big fan of reading a book before I see the movie based on the book. If I know there's a movie that's based on a book, I like to read the book first. But I'm also not the person who goes in there and goes, well, the book was so much better. It's like, the book should be better. The book, you're committing hours and hours and hours of time to reading, and you're creating your ideal situation in your head yeah i actually this is a subject i can like really relate and talk about because i absolutely love to read but i and it's it's interesting because you okay the the best example i have of this is like the hunger games oh it's probably God, the most books. it's probably the more relatable one uh to like more people but hilariously i hate the books uh the katniss inside of her head oh, i yeah, find yeah her character to be absolutely like nails on a chalkboard. It's just, I was, I will say this mocking Jay. That's the third book, right? Okay. First two books I read in a day a piece. Yes. Mocking Jay. It took me like two weeks to read. Cause I got a, like halfway through it. And I was like, I, I'm just not feeling it. And it's for that reason. Like, yeah, that's when you really get like Katniss trying to figure everything out, how she feels about everything. And yeah, she's, it's obvious how it's going to end. She's going to end up with, uh, I can't remember. Yeah, Peter. Peter, yeah. Going to end up with him and not Greg, I think is his name or something like that. Whatever. Yeah. The guy she grew up with. Yeah. And he, Peter deserved her. He did a lot more in the short time that I knew her. And whether Kat, like, her thing was like, he doesn't even know me. He was like, he doesn't know you because you didn't give him a chance, but he has reasons to like you. Yeah, it's, yeah, I mean. I just went full geek for a second. <laughs> that, no, I, I could probably rant about that that final book also. But I think the the important takeaway is like in the movie, like, you know, she's a very strong, uh, empowered woman. And in the book, 
and necessarily so she struggles a lot with like ptsd and well, yeah she's like she's strong a, but she doesn't know it she's a yeah she has like a bunch a, she, of skills I mean, she's still a teenager so it's like she's struggling with identity and yeah like love um but in the movie you don't you don't see inside someone's head and and maybe this is like my personal failure with movies is i tend to not like really put myself in their shoes um so you know maybe i would have been able to think she is struggling on the inside but not necessarily on the outside but in books i just love being in other people's heads um so i'm well that's i'm always i'm always almost 99 percent of the time like book over movie except uh, hunger games man well, yeah I, that, i've actually been re-watching the harry potter movies with my friend chris and as far as book to movies i know a lot of people have a real problem with them but i think harry potter did a pretty good job of trying to get the main points across obviously they changed stuff like i said like you're committing hours to a Harry Potter book, you're only going to commit an hour and a half or an hour and 45 minutes to a Harry Potter movie. Yeah. So they have to fucking, they have to chop it down. They got to change things to try and make the flow work for them. The only thing about that is Harry should have had green eyes. They made someone with yellow eyes in the first movie and Harry didn't have green eyes the entire franchise. So fuck that. <laughs> but even though Harry Potter is written from outside of Harry's perspective, you understand Harry as a whole character in the books. And Ron, as far as a best friend goes, Ron might be the worst best friend in the world. Because, yeah, he, he opens his arms to, like, oh, come stay with my family, do this. But anytime shit hits the fan, he just believes Harry is the worst kind of person. And it's just like, dude, do you know Harry at all? He's not he's not egotistical. He, he grew up in a cupboard under the stairs. Like, he doesn't think he belongs in the wizarding world. Like, And as you read the books, you know Harry's like that. But his best friend that's supposed to know him the best doesn't know anything about him. Anytime Rita Skeeter writes something bad, he's like, I can't believe you said that, Harry. He's like, I didn't. He's like, oh, okay. Ron, <laughs> do you not know your best friend? Yes. Do you, uh, I mean, I'm not uh, extremely well versed. Do you, do you find, I'm, I've read and watched all of Harry Potter, great universe, but uh, do you, do you empathize at all with Ron, though, of living in the shadow of? I, I get it, but I, I, I get it if Harry was more arrogant. Yeah. But Harry, fair. like, even when, you know, he's, like, living in the shop, and I get he's the youngest son of a bunch of people that went off and did great things, like Charlie fucking dealt with dragons, Fred and George were really entrepreneurial, but Harry helped them be that way. He got them their starter money. Like, he threw it at them and just said, don't worry about it. And you would think Ron would be like, oh, he's just a good dude. But anytime something goes bad, it's literally like completely distrust Terry. Yeah. That's fair, yeah. Yeah, I think I think that one's a weird one. Cause yeah, I don't know if anyone could ever really relate. I don't know. Maybe if you were like around superstars growing up, like, you'd be like, God, Harry, you're so annoying. You know, he's like, oh, the, the guy with the lightning bolt tattoo. It's like, the fuck did he do? But yeah, I, I think you're at the end of the day, Harry never earned the distrust so why he's so anti-harry it's just uh, again this is going to be like a real world point of view a lot of people need therapy <laughs> yeah well you know i think a lot of it too leaks out and like uh some of and this is something uh, as i get older and i read a lot more a lot of it leaks out into like what the author like uh the author's character who the author oh, is jk rowling she and got so pissed off with ron's character she wanted to kill him Although she made a pact, like when she started the book, she's like, those three are going to make it through. No matter how I want to take the story, those three are going to make it through. And she said, honestly, he's like, yeah, I almost killed Ron. 
And yeah, and I'd be curious to see. I, I don't know anything about J.K. Rowling other than like the the batshit stuff she's been tweeting lately. But uh, I don't know any about. I I keep her as J.K. Rowling who wrote Harry Potter, <laughs> and that's where she ended. <laughs> yeah, but I'm. I wonder if she is like a the youngest of many siblings, or maybe. Uh, you know, her parents are both doctors or something like that. So she tends to like live in the shadow also. Um, maybe she either relates to Ron or maybe she's the one who casts shadows. And so she's bad at empathizing with people who live in shadows. Well, that's actually a really interesting point because I, I think you're right. She might relate to Ron more and that's why she would have like, as the book's gone on, she realized now I am the famous one and the way he's acting is, dumb yeah and that's why she might have had that internal struggle by the way jk rowling if you ever hear this <laughs> we don't know but he made a good point and i'm just extrapolating from it yeah i that's a really good point like maybe she did empathize with ron at first and then as the books go on and she did get that level of fame that you know ron wanted or wished he would have had she got that by fucking book four or five she was huge and that might have been when she was like, man, this guy, the way this character is written, I don't like it, but he's locked into it. And she really leaned into it in the seventh book with Ron leaving everyone, Dumbledore knowing. And those are the books that you read without a teacher trying to, like, tell you how to think about it. So it's more entertainment. You just go through it. But if you critically, like, analyze Ron's character, you go back to, like, makes sense he would leave and Dumbledore would know it because he was a pretty shit friend. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's the, the problem is Ron was actually probably a better wizard than Harry. Ended up being just as good at Quidditch, just in a different role. Like, the, the keeper's not as good as the seeker. It It's like having a really good safety versus a really good quarterback. They could both be really good at what they're doing, but the quarterback's going to get more recognition. Yeah. Hey, you just led me down a, a new Harry Potter path. I'm going to oh. have to read the, reread the books. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I, as I, like I said, as I get older, I read a lot more now these days, and it's always interesting, um, you pick up a book, and within, like, the first few minutes, it's like, um, I, I read, actually, Torch has my copy of it now, uh, Caves of Steel, and within the first few pages, a detective is, like, disgusted with the people around him, he sees them as, like, insects, you know, he's, like, done with humanity. And a part of me wonders... Well, I'm sorry, what did you say the book was? Uh, Caves of Steel by Isaac Asimov. He's one of the most prolific sci-fi writers uh, throughout all history. He's like a godfather of no, sci-fi. Better than H.P. Lovecraft? Oh, yeah. I, he, not, no, I'm not saying he is, no. <laughs> uh, but he is up there uh, with with the, the, the grandfathers. The Eternal Ones, got it. The Eternal Ones, yeah. <laughs> uh, but... The, the detective in it, in the first few pages, he, he's disgusted, and it makes me wonder, is it the detective who, am I am I supposed to think that that is normal for someone who lives in, like, a society of billions of people because it's the future and we're overpopulated? Or is it the author who is, like, you know, expressing themselves through this character? I think, the you know, unfortunately, that's the sort of analysis I, you know, you never get in public education I, shit, so. I, I always joke around. I saw a meme about it, but it's the way I've always felt. When the teacher's like, now why did he make the curtain blue? It's because blue denotes sadness and blah, blah. And the, the author's like, I, I just picked a fucking color. 
Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's like the attention is always on the most irrelevant parts, and we never talk about the actual critical analysis that comes with literature uh, or or movies, any sort of media you want. I actually got a real big ego boost when I took American literature in college because uh, we read Frankenstein, like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And one, the first after chapter quiz we took, I, I lost points because I answered a question and I, I went back and I was like, I'm pretty sure I was right about that. So I reread it and I realized that the teacher teaching the class was just wrong. Like he deducted points. He's like, no, that's not because uh, Dr. Frankenstein meets his like, adopted little sister he meets her it's literally written in the book that he meets her and then the question was like how does he meet her blah 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 and i wrote met her in a cabin by the beach and dude took points off he's like no his mom went there but it's like no his mom took him there so he was actually wrong i just never corrected it but i was like wonder how many people have missed points on this that needed those points god yeah i you know one of those like i wonder how much they reread the books i could never be like a lit teacher. So shout out to anyone who is uh, more power to yeah, you. You would have but, to read it every single semester to really God. make sure you're right. And reading like 50 papers of people who may or may not have read it. And you're just like, wait a minute, did that actually happen? Because everyone just wrote it. And you're like, oh, wait, no sparknotes.com just has it wrong. And my whole class is idiots. So screw you all. That same class, when we ended the book, I wrote a paper. You know, you had to do an end of the semester, end of the book paper on it. And I wrote long paper, and I got A in the class, but they didn't put online what you got on the final. And I wanted to know because I presented, like I said, he wasn't correct at that one thing. So I presented different views than I think a lot of people would have presented in my final paper. And I never got told what I got on that final paper. So I hit papal. <laughs> so I messaged him, like or emailed him. I was like, hey. I know I got a, an A on your class for my final grade, but I just want to know what I got on the final paper. Like, what did I get on that? And he goes, well, obviously you got an A on that. And I was like, oh, thank you for that. That's nice. That makes me feel good. Like, you knew I understood what was happening in the book and I was presenting in a good way, but it felt good. I, I, I don't care about grades, but I really cared about if that teacher thought I did good because he was so harsh in grading. Yeah. So when he said, like, well, you, you clearly know you got an A. And I was like, oh, thank you. Yeah, there's definitely the teachers who, you know, command by respect. And those are the ones you want to do the best for. Uh, I'm deeply attracted to intelligence. So uh, got well, those hey, teachers. Hey, I'm going to keep my pants on this entire podcast. <laughs> All right. No, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm not he's, smart. Uh, he's kidding about keeping his pants on, actually. Uh, They're off. The beer's coming out here soon, yeah. Um, but yeah, those, those teachers who I had, I, I remember one time I had this teacher in anthropology who oh, kid you love, do you love anthropology? I, I, it, okay. I'm going to let you continue. I, oh yeah, I could, I, there's millennia subjects. I'm like a lifelong student. So I find a lot of this interesting, but, um, I remember a student asked some random question and this teacher, like seemingly out of nowhere, referenced a book in like a chapter to like go explore more and the fact that someone can be so well read and steeped in their field of knowledge immediately i was like i have to i have to be the best person in this class like i want this guy to notice me <laughs> and then i ended up leaving that college and he was just like well sad to see you go but that sad to see you go 
even though it was absent-minded, oh, I felt so good. It was like my work has been validated. Oh, I, I, I totally feel it based on an anthropology teacher I had. I took intro to anthropology just as like a side credit. I just needed to fill out my freshman year at YSU, and I loved it. And it's not a surprise. I loved it just knowing me. Like, I love evolution. I love understanding why people are the way they are. And anthropology is like every science kind of thrown into one. There's psychology, there's sociology, there's history, there's science, like biological science. But I took intro to anthropology, loved it so much, heard one of the greatest gaffes or teacher just rolling with the punches I've ever heard because my teacher had like a, a dyke spike. If I'm going to be honest, she had a dyke spike. And she goes, uh, can anyone guess what nationality I am? And someone went, lesbianese? And she was like, yes, Lebanese. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if she heard it wrong or she just rolled with it and just said, fuck it, I'm ruining your joke. And I was like, that's great. Yeah. But uh, I ended up taking a bunch of anthropology classes. I, was, I ended up being two anthropology classes away from a minor in anthropology. But my major was forensic science with an emphasis on biology. And because when you have forensic science, you're supposed to have an emphasis. At least at YSU. I don't know how it works at other colleges. But when I took her test in a later anthropology class, and I didn't even know she really like even knew who I was. But there was a question about uh, XXY, XY, like, you know, Kleinfelter's Turner syndrome, like how those things exist. Yeah. And she had an extended response, a short answer, and then multiple choice. That's how her test worked. And the extended response obviously was supposed to be like a fucking novel. The short answer, to me, a short answer, and this is what I was taught in high school, a short answer is a paragraph. Yeah. So I, wrote, so I wrote five sentences on Kleinfelter's and Turner syndrome. And she took points off, not because I was wrong, but she wrote, I just expected more from the bio biology guy. And I was like, how the fuck did you know I was into biology? Nice. So, like, she she knew more about me than I ever thought she did. Like, So I must have made some type of impression in that first class of 130 people, like, just reading my answers to stuff. I was like, wow, she actually... It just really surprised me that she was able, through a 120-person class... And then I, the next class I took, she knew what I was into just based on answers on a fucking a test. Because when I, I was describing how she does her tests, that was how she did her more like intimate classes. But intro to anthropology has a huge yeah. auditorium. It's an intro class. But I was just like, oh, wow, you're a really good teacher. The fact that you even knew I was into biology and I've never even fucking told you that. She just was able to know that. And she might have been, she definitely was my favorite teacher. At YSU, hands down, very informative. She even asked me one time, she's like, why don't you ever take notes? I was like, well, you talk really fast, and I have a, a previously broken hand, so I can't write very fast. I can, but after a while, I'll say arthritis. I don't know if that's the right term, but like after a while, my hand just starts to hurt from writing because the two bones I broke wrestling that dude, just they, they hurt. And she goes, oh, well, you can always ask me to slow down. I was like... No, talk how you want. I'm, yeah. like, I'm, I'm still retaining the information. I'm still learning. Yeah, I think yeah. Teacher, good teachers will pick out and you know take note of the the kids who give a fuck. So yeah, 
That's far and few between in college, I've found. And I feel really bad because I stopped going to her class, but it wasn't out of disrespect for her. I had really bad anxiety, and I still do. But I missed one class, and I was like, it was a big class because she said, make sure you're here for this class. Like, I'm going to say, I'm going to say something that's really important for the test, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, she made it out to be that this class was important. And I just missed it. Can't remember why. Probably overslept. But I missed it. And then I was like, well, can't show my face in that class ever again. And she would have been fine with it. She would have, like, if I had told her, like, if I had been honest, like, I really bad anxiety. It's tough for me to show up to things. She'd be like, okay, blah, blah, blah. But one of the biggest regrets I have is not continuing to go to that anthropology class. Because probably the best teacher I had in college. uh, Very informative. And really cared if her students did well. She really cared, even though she was a harsh grader. I think the harsh grading was her saying, like, this feels hard. So you need to be on the top of your game to fucking be in it. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, those, I think also, like, if people care about it, they want almost like, not gatekeeping in the negative sense, but also, yeah, it's, you know. Gatekeeping in the positive sense is like, I don't want anyone to do this. Exactly, yeah. You you don't want to, like, trivialize your work, to trivialize your coworkers' work, or any field. So to pass people without much thought isn't really, is doing a disservice to all the work that for them. And she, she was a forensic anthropologist, which apparently there's only 60, or there was, and I may be getting the number wrong, but we'll go with six. She said there's only 60 accredited anthropologists in the United States, and to be accredited as a forensic anthropologist, you actually have to be a part of crimes. Like, when they find bones, you have to be able to help them with it, you know. And because there's only 60, they're only going to go to the experts. So if you're not accredited, it's hard to find work in that field to become accredited. And her point was in Youngstown, like the Ohio area, people don't stay dead long before they're found, generally. So it's hard to find those crimes or jobs to work to be able to prove you can do what you're doing because the very few bodies they find, they're going to go straight to the nearest accredited anthropologist. And I, at one point that was my goal. It was like, I want to become an accredited anthropologist. And I stopped going to that class and all that big regret in my life, but I found comedy and that's, I'm glad because working in a lab was always my goal. But also doing comedy was, and I'd rather do comedy than work in a lab. Yeah, there's there's still time to do both if you wanted, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I got some loans I got to pay off before I can go back to school. <laughs> That's fair, yeah. yeah. Education ain't cheap. But this went a little longer than I was expecting, but I was actually just really enjoying talking to you. So hopefully everyone else enjoys listening to our random babbling. Yeah. I- but, uh, Just going to get ready for the actual show.